wonderful. Thank you. That's good to hear. It's the first day of snow. I have no idea when this is going up. Probably weeks from now. But <laughs> uh, yeah, here in New York, we got our first taste of the white stuff. And I don't mean Oreos, uh, like the Weird <laughs> Al song that he did uh, based on a New Kids on the Block track. Um, yeah, I know it's <laughs> snowing. And um, how are you dealing with that? Yeah, just fine. I just got home from work and not too bad. Yeah, me too. I I was out of the house when it started, and now I'm like looking at my calendar, like, hmm, how often do I have to go outside for the next few weeks? Yeah, going to try exactly. and whittle that number down. Same. Yeah, I took the day off tomorrow. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I work from home, so that is one nice thing about that. Bad. Yeah. Yeah, I did that for like seven years, and I I miss it a lot. It's it has its perks, you know. Um, I do like the idea of going somewhere else to work. So I've been looking into going to like a co-working space. Have you ever done Ugh. anything like that? Not even a little bit. No, I, you know, I was uh, freelance working from home for seven years and I loved it. And coming into an office was nice, but um, I never missed human contact when I was home alone. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not so much the human contact as it is like getting out of the house for me and also like having a, a context where I'm, working yeah um, no i get it no I, I never had a problem with that i was really oh. okay not too bad motivating myself and um i mean i wasn't like you know i don't know i wasn't on a strict schedule or anything but uh yeah i did okay at home i was all right with it yeah i mean i'm getting better now i took my desk out of my room i was working out of my closet um <laughs> <laughs> that was my office um also where my cat's litter box is so it's a multifunctional <laughs> it's a multi-purpose room um but uh yeah, I'm working like in other rooms in the house because we do have a number of them. Um, wow. Yeah. So, you know, that's something. Um, but yeah, no, I'm just like, all right, sweaters. And, uh, you know, I, I order groceries now because I live in New York <laughs> City. And in 2018, that's a thing you can do. Um, and uh, it's pretty fancy, actually. It does feel fancy, but. I mathed it out and like looking at the cost of, um, you know, like transit and, um, like the time thing, um, like the cost of my time, now, sure, that yeah. sounds really pretentious, but you know, I'm trying to think about that more like, <laughs> no, no, that is I actually totally like I work and like that time I'm doing that stuff is time that I am not working. Um, yeah. and it actually works out to only be like a tiny bit more expensive. Um, and it's funny cause like, you know, all my life, I never thought of ordering food as being like this, like, I mean, it's kind of a luxury sometimes, you know, when you don't have much money. Um, but like the idea sure. of it is sound to me. It's like very like, yeah, no, that's something you do. People order pizzas. Um, yep. But ordering groceries, whenever I had heard of people doing that as a kid, I was like, what is this? People bring you food from the store? How? Yeah. And even when I started doing it, I was like, oh, this feels really too much. Um, yeah. I never thought about it that way, but I see your point. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I guess ordering groceries also means that you know how to cook or something, which I don't really do ever. But uh, oh, it does seem like no, a no, no, thing. no, no, no. It doesn't mean <laughs> that at all, my friend. What are you ordering? What am I ordering? Oh, the things that I order. Um, it does mean sometimes I'll order frozen meals, which mm -hmm. are, I think, the next step down from 
ordering delivery um, <laughs> because they're still expensive, but maybe like a third as expensive. Sure. Um, and I order, I eat a lot of peanut butter, <laughs> but just the kind that's just peanuts. So it's yeah. like basically good for you. That's um, like plants. That's healthy. That's like a it's salad. It's made of plants. No, but I do need a lot of protein and fat as a vegetarian. Um, yeah. So I'll do that. Um, I'll, I'll eat like, um, you know, like a yogurt, like a skier. Um, sure. Uh, you know, I'll buy like, you know, just trail mix. Just <laughs> chomp on some trail mix. I don't know. I, and then I just mostly – see, I don't like – there's no easy way for me of like eating – real plants um so what i do is just buy v8 um the kind that doesn't have a lot of sodium in it and i'm like this basically counts as plants Um, it totally does it does i do think juice is mostly a scam like when you (laughs) go to a juice place and buy juice i think that's bullshit because it's just sugar yeah, I'm with you. It's just sugar. Get a smoothie because then you're actually eating a vegetable or a, or a fruit. It's just in liquid totally. form, which is so much better anyway because it's like textured and like interesting to look at. Sorry, I'm preaching to the juice <laughs> choir, the anti-juice <laughs> choir. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not into the juice thing. My fiance has a fancy uh, juice machine. I know nothing about it, but she puts like mountains of vegetables into it and gets like a little cup of something I've never tasted. <laughs> I used to, God, I got to start making smoothies again because it would be like Greek yogurt, um, kale, blueberries, banana. And it's just like, wow, I feel like a human being after I drink this. Wow. A real hero and a real human being. I've never been one of those smoothie people. I don't know. I'm missing out on something maybe. Yeah, I think they're good actually. (laughs) I got to try it. Sounds healthy. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they can be. It's like anything, right? They can be healthy or you can just like, I mean, at some point I feel like here's the thing with a smoothie. I think a smoothie exists on a continuum with milkshakes um, (laughs) because there can be milk products in a smoothie. So smoothie just kind of intimates that it's healthier. Whereas uh, milkshake, obviously we don't think of that as a particularly healthful beverage, but I would submit that those terms are just a matter of, um, of linguistic, uh, of nominalism, of Sure, and a subtle distinction of ingredients, of, maybe, but yeah. Maybe, but I think the twain could meet. <laughs> I think you're right. Well, I'm glad we got that out of the way. Do, are <laughs> you too. drinking anything right now? Do you want to do BevCheck? It's the thing that we do sometimes. Oh, yeah. Boy, am I drinking. Sure. <laughs> um. I am drinking a glass of some white rum with a bunch of things I mixed into it that I don't even remember. A bunch of uh, different Amari that I mixed into it. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's really fancy. I'm drinking a um, a glass of red that I, it's a blend. It's a two grape blend, Um, but it's from 2012 um, and I haven't actually tried it yet. So I'm going to do, I've been letting it breathe. I'm going to do that right now. How exciting. Well, cheers. Mm. <laughs> oh, that is nice. <laughs> it's dry, kind of tart. Um, mm. My roommate 
works at a wine store. And so I've been trying to learn wine language from him. Cool. Um, I haven't learned very much at all. That's something I know very little about, but I like to pretend. I, I feel like I should know a lot more about it, but I don't. I mean, should you? I think there's a, yeah. I think there's a, a very good case to be made about not knowing things about wine. I think because <laughs> wine is one of those things where the more you know about it, the more difficult it is to enjoy it sometimes. I could see that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes a lot of pressure. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's like you have to Well, it's like your brain gets all tricked up, right? Because you you like you know what good stuff tastes like. And then now, I mean, I say that, but I know what good coffee tastes like, and I still love garbage coffee. Oh, dude, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good. I, uh, yeah, I I haven't gotten that fancy with my taste. Like, uh, I grew up very working class. I still like cheap stuff for a lot of things. But, you know, fancy's good. Fancy's good, but cheap is good, too. Uh, Cheap is good. Um, Like, (laughs) a diner coffee in, like, I I really want to get some of these mugs. Like, the classic, just, like, white ceramic, kind of, like, convex or concave on the outside mm-hmm. um just a, a cup of coffee right out a percolator and one of those yep. mm. and the, like the third one is just as good totally um, i'm with you yeah i don't know what's some other cheap stuff that's like good well right now actually i have a fridge full of leftover beer and wine i mean full like a lot from uh what's <laughs> today like from halloween and this is november what are we november 15th or something wow right? uh yeah uh, so a lot of stuff is left over in the fridge. And so it's a lot of cheap beer that I would probably not ever buy, but I'm not going to not drink it, you know, um, <laughs> and a lot of white wine that looks really questionable, but I'm, you know, we'll get, we'll get through it eventually. Yeah. I mean, cheap beer is sometimes very good. Um, yeah. I was drinking, I think, Bud on our Halloween party and there's just <laughs> something about a really cheap beer, uh, at a party, I think drinking a cheap beer on your own is very depressing. Um, <laughs> but doing it in the company of other people feels very, I think it's kind of like a youthful feeling. Maybe that's what it is. I could see that. Sure. sure. Yeah. Because that's, yeah. you know, what we drank um, in the olden days. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, definitely there are some drinks like that for me where they are very cheap and bad. Um but have some kind of like twang of, of nostalgia about them. Um, but are there yeah. like cheap things that I like, like there's frozen pizzas. Like there's like a couple of frozen pizzas that like aren't fancy and they're <laughs> very cheap. And they're like some of my favorite, like Elio's and. Oh yeah. I remember. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. They're like the rectangle ones. They're yeah, really yeah, yeah. good. Um, a classic. Yeah. God. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. So expensive. Sometimes things that are expensive are worse. Worse. Give me an example. <laughs> Wait, have you not <laughs> seen uh, um, that that bit? I'm not sure. Maybe not. Uh, Caleb Gallo is no, the name. It's, uh, it's called "The Gay and Wondrous Life of Caleb Gallo," um, and um, I'll put a link to this in the show notes if people haven't seen it. But there's a clip with uh, this one character named Freckle who does this whole, like, relates this whole story. And, like, that sort of, that line is kind of like the uh, the the clincher, the apex of the whole gotcha. thing. Um, but, you gotcha. know, expensive things are worse sometimes. Like, here's, here's one thing. Like, with wine, um, you know, there are certain chateaus or 
whatever they're called, places where wine comes from um, that are just obscenely expensive, right? So like, especially like champagnes, but also just like other bottles of wine are just thousands of dollars. And the people who buy those aren't like wine connoisseurs, partly because they mostly don't have the money. They're rich people. Um, and sure. those those wines like aren't necessarily any more like any better than things that are like maybe a couple hundred dollars or even like less than that. They just have this name attached to it. And rich people almost definitely wouldn't know the difference um, between that and something cheaper and like my roommate several times has mused on the idea of swapping bottles of liquor uh with you know nice but still like just shelf liquor yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. and selling them to rich people because there's a they documentary just... on Netflix about yes. that whole thing right yes. yeah i think he what was it's telling called, me about that but... um it's about yeah, a guy yeah. who uh scammed rich people by selling them fake wine um, totally. which is a victimless crime i think uh, absolutely <laughs> like because a, like they're getting this experience that they wanted it doesn't matter yep. if it's fake and also like they're rich people so basically crimes against them don't count yeah i'm with you totally and like <laughs> uh you know they, they still i'm sure what they ended up drinking was still really really good and if they can't tell the difference you know i'm sure i couldn't tell the difference but then i kind of feel like the the people selling it the people receiving it maybe deserve each other yeah yeah, and I think that guy's in jail now, and so he wasn't yeah, in yeah. the documentary. So. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think he should be. That's my controversial yeah. opinion. That's yeah. my legal opinion. It's really cool in the documentary. They show the guy's home, and like he lives this really fancy life, going out and partying with people. But in his home, it's just a giant laboratory of old bottles of wine and weird label making processes and old papers and things to age the paper. <laughs> it's a mess. His entire home is covered with this stuff. It's great. It's really inspiring in a way. There is um. There's an episode of Black Books by now, unfortunately, <laughs> like completely deranged um, UK writer uh graham linehan uh still a very good show but there's an episode where the characters accidentally drink a bottle of wine that was intended for the pope and so they have to recreate it um by just mixing in other wines and then like they're like oh a note of vanilla okay and like they like stuff some vanilla ice cream in and like grab (laughs) grab like some branches and um and i think the the punchline to that eventually is the pope does die from drinking the wine but um But yeah, no, it's all made up. Like, oh, yeah. notes of pencil shavings. Oh, I love pencil shaving. That's beautiful. Sure. And I feel like the older and fancier I get, the more I start to think I can detect those things, but not really with any kind of accuracy or anything. But uh, I'm like, wow, that's kind of impressive. That's a thing I used to think was totally fake when I was a kid, but there's something to it, a little bit to it. Not in the value, is you that know, because... but in the different flavors. Well, I th- is that has something to do with, I think when you're a kid, you have more taste buds and so you know when people are like oh kids don't like like the whole trope of like kids don't like broccoli or brussels sprouts like i think Uh i'm like i'm probably totally wrong but um i think i have heard that that's because kids have more taste buds and things that are bitter um are basically unbearable to them i've Um, I've read similar things i mean i don't know what i'm talking about but i've totally yeah. (laughs) yeah and so like maybe that's you know, with more subtle things, um, until you have, until like some of those taste buds like die off, you, you're just getting hit with like the main strong thing and you can't tell like the, the distinct ones. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I guess you're left over with the ones that are a little more subtle. I don't know. Unless you're a super taster. Right, which I don't even know what that is. I've I, heard of that. It's I like, don't know uh, what it is either, but it sounds very cool. Cool, but also maybe dreadful. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, yeah. Like, I don't know. Uh, would you, what, you wouldn't want to be a super taster, like, just to be able to taste everything, like, twice as strongly? I don't know. Like, I, I like almost everything. And I feel like if I were a super taster, that would probably change. Mm. You know, like, I'd probably start noticing things that were kind of gross or kind of bad. Or, I don't Maybe know. you just like them more. Yeah, oh, it could be. Yeah, sure. Maybe just everything's more intense, you know. But, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of pride myself on not having a terribly refined palate, which is why I can enjoy <laughs> cheap stuff and expensive stuff. You know, I don't care. I really yeah. do like everything. Yeah. yeah you like change. everything? I mean, not quite everything. It's, I'm, it's hard for me to think of things I don't like. It's such a cliche, but I don't really love licorice. That's about, like, black oh. licorice is about the only flavor that I don't love. See, I love black licorice. Yeah, it's a thing, right? You're on one side or the other, you know? It's I know, like although I did find out that it's poisonous <laughs> recently, so. How, um, how so? <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> it causes problems. Um, you know, the thing is, like, A, a lot of licorice candy either has minute amounts of licorice in it, or it's made with okay. anise, which yeah. basically tastes the same. Um, there's licorice has like this sweetener in it. That's like way sweeter than sucrose. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it can like, uh, increase blood pressure. Um, wow. <laughs> and like, it can cause a whole bunch of problems. Like, so like you can, um, oh yeah, you can like retain sodium and lose potassium, um, increase blood pressure, weight gain, heart problems, weakness, um, I mean, you'd have to eat a lot of licorice candy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, some people don't at all. Like it, it's pretty minor. Um, wow. But I still do love it. Um, I will say I did have this licorice uh, candy recently that I think was like this British thing. It was like a salted licorice like coin. And oh, it yeah. Was the worst thing I have ever tasted. Totally. When I lived in France, that was a thing. And I mean, I, I already don't like licorice. So yeah, salty licorice, even But less. what if it's incredibly salty? And like, I I very rarely immediately want to eject things from my mouth. Like when I eat something, <laughs> that was like a real struggle to just yeah, actually no, eat it. I'm with you. I feel like if licorice has anything going for it, it's the sugar, right? So yeah, if, it, yeah, if it's salty, I'm... Yeah, let's ruin the one thing about it. I feel like that's yeah. an English thing and also like a Finnish thing. Right, that's right. Yeah, Northern Europe. Yeah, they're into that. Yeah. They do like they have like um, Swedish fish, but they're like licorice, like salted licorice fish. Oh, that's uh, very unfortunate. I know you like you salt fish, but just because it's shaped like a fish doesn't mean you also <laughs> have to salt them. Yeah, no, that sounds gross. Um, so licorice. Anything else? Now, I'm trying to think. What other flavors do I not care for? That's that's the main one. I honestly can't think. You know, there are even foods like I, I've had this conversation with a lot of friends about like what's the grossest thing you ever ate? Like a normal thing, not something that's like spoiled or whatever. You know? Sure. Um, and uh, and all my stories about things that I hated years ago, I've tried again. I've made myself go back and try them, and I was like, oh yeah, I actually kind of like it now. So like my my worst ever was um, visiting friends in the north of France in the countryside for Christmas dinner. And it was a big hot plate of tripe with nothing else but like a, a big potato <laughs> on the side. That was a little bit upsetting. That sounds and like a prank. That, yeah, it really did. Oh my god! And so I was on the train up to my friend's house. Um, I forget uh, in uh, in uh, the Picardy region, 
And he texts me and he says, hey, by the way, you like tripe, right? And I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be weird. I never had tripe in my life at the time. And um, just walking into the house, it smelled very bad. And um, then, like, looking at it, like, visually, it was very bad. And the texture in your mouth was really bad. I would say the taste is probably, like, the flavor is probably the least offensive thing about it. But um, it was pretty hard to get through it. But I uh, I really believe in being a polite and, and gracious guest. So mm-hmm. I ate it really quickly. And uh, And my friend's father said, oh, yeah, Manning wants more. Give him more. And they piled a second helping on the white plate. So I made myself eat that one too. And it was really oh. upsetting. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard. No. But um, but I've gone back to it. And I've had okay experiences with tripe. Oh. Served different ways, prepared different ways. Yeah. You don't eat meat though, right? I don't. I did used to. Yeah. I Yeah. Last time I ate meat intentionally was um, probably about seven years ago. Huh. Wow. Right. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you, like, uh, I'm not vegetarian at all, but I, I eat meat very sparingly. So it's kind of like if I'm traveling, I'm, I'm up for whatever. If I'm a guest somewhere, I'm up for whatever. But it's not a thing that I choose to eat. So it's maybe like a once a month thing, you know? Yeah. Kind of a special occasion kind of thing. Yeah. I think for me, it's just like it became a habit at some point. And then I think it went so long that I would, like, uh, freak out or, like, get sick if I ate meat. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I think I've maybe mentioned this on the show before, but, like, I think it started as like this big ethical thing for, or no, it started as I was a grad student and needed to save money. Um, <laughs> and then it became this big ethical thing for me. And then I got to a point where it was just like, it's like one of the, those cultural things where like, to me, like meat isn't food, but I understand that it's food for other people. Like sure, yeah. many people eat insects and many people yeah. in the West are like, insects aren't food. Um, and for me, it's, yeah, it's just like, well, I, I can hold those two thoughts simultaneously that just cause it, yeah. something isn't food to me, it doesn't mean it's not to someone else. But you're probably not exempt from the, uh, swallowing like 17 spiders a year. Or oh, that's is, totally like... real. Yeah. You know, it's so, <laughs> so funny. That is like one of the first myths spread by the internet. Is that right? Yeah. I don't know if you knew that, but, um, that was one of the first big things that like, that caught on the first like, um, urban urban legends that caught on over the internet and that's where that came from i had no idea that's really cool i totally fell for it and i i usually try to uh knock them all out on january 1st just to be done with it you know get all 17 in uh, but uh, <laughs> i had no idea it was a scam that's great yeah no i mean but i mean you can't you can keep, there's nothing stopping you from doing that sure yeah have I you ever eaten to bugs i totally have on purpose i mean have you like actually like have eaten I any kind of like eaten a bug um yeah chocolate covered ants or whatever no i don't think i have yeah i've tried it here and there i mean it's not like a thing that i'm into but um i like to i like trying weird stuff so that's the thing that i've eaten well i feel like um people should you know i think either you should be into eating bugs or into (laughs) eating plants mostly because one way or another you're gonna have to pick pretty soon not to (laughs) get grim Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I mean you'll You're also be able to right. eat that like weird lab meat um from Oryx and yep. Creek where they grow like a chicken that just has like six breasts and like eighteen wings or whatever. Um, sure. How would you feel about the the whole the whole cloned meat thing, right? Where it's it was never alive. How do you feel about that? How do I feel about like would I eat it? I mean, yeah, would you eat it? Yeah, would you want to eat it? I don't think so. Just because it would still no. have it's not like the act of eating something that was alive for me now. It's just like the taste and sensation of eating meat. Got um, it. And so even sometimes fake meat, I'll just be like, "Mm," I have to keep checking like with the texture to make sure, Um, 
which is why I just typically like tofu or like seitan because it's not um not like designed to look as much like meat as possible but yep. uh yeah I've also tried those like the veggie burgers that they try to make seem as much like hamburgers as possible and yeah. like I don't Not really good. care for them. Like they'll have the yeah. whole like, oh, they bleed with beet juice. Like, right. for whom was this the selling point? Like, <laughs> for oh, me, it's... that's for me. <laughs> <laughs> I need to feast yeah. on the blood of my enemies who are no, cows. I'm with the in, in general, the veggie stuff, burgers and hot dogs and whatever. The more it's trying to be like meat, the less good it is usually. Right? I mean, like a, a veggie burger that's just veggies and uh, black beans and whatever, like amazing. But yeah. if it's like actually trying to resemble the flavor and texture of beef, it's usually pretty gross. Yeah. Just make some, put some chickpeas and beans and make a patty. Like this, I mean, I have definitely complained about this before. (laughs) Um, And I think I spent most of an episode with Tim Rogers talking about it, but places that don't just have like a normal veggie burger on their menu, like when they don't have many veggie options, like why just like buy a, a box of frozen veggie burgers and like just, heat one up whenever i come in because i will take that right. yeah like any day of the week over you're trying to make a mushroom a steak because right. it um, just yeah. isn't it just yeah. isn't like it, a steak doesn't have gills <laughs> it's not spongy like stop yeah. trying yeah, to make it a sandwich or a hamburger it's not just stop trying to make it happen I'm with you. I get through a lot of veggie burgers. I like trying out a million different places and trying to find a find a good one. You know. Yeah, I mean, sure. Um, I don't do you have any recommendations about a good veggie burger. And what you live in Brooklyn or where do you live? I am in Brooklyn. Yes. Cool. Um, yeah, me too. There is a Dutch Boy is pretty hmm. good. Dutch Boy Burger. Um, they are on okay. Franklin, I believe. Um. So they are good. They also do milkshakes. Um, they are kind of expensive, but huh. um, there's a place that Tim Tim is like Tim Rogers is the biggest connoisseur of veggie burgers I know. Um, and there's a place that he really loves. I think it's in the Lower East Side, or maybe just the East Village. Um, the the veggie place that I've been going to a lot lately is called the V Spot, uh-huh. which is a bad name. Yeah. Um, it's a bad name, um, <laughs> but it's um, it's a good place. It's vegan. Um, I find there aren't like a lot of just vegetarian restaurants because they either go like whole hog or or no hog at all. Um, yep. But that's fine with me. It's like a they call it a Latin vegan and kosher restaurant. Huh. And um, I had there. I had. Um, and I know I just got through saying that things that look actually like meat are kind of unsettling, and this kind of still is, but it's also very good. Um, <laughs> They have like um uh what's it called? Like a chicken parmesan sandwich that is so good. It's not chicken, it's like chicken with like the apostrophe. It's so good. And maybe it's because like I, I have, have to say Yeah. I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. I I mean maybe it isn't <laughs> like the last time I had one was probably like ten years ago, like a real one. All right. Um but I used to love it. And like this one, I've had it a couple times now, and I'm just like, oh, this is really good. <laughs> I guess it it can work if it's more about the sauce, right? That can work. You know? Yeah, yeah. But like having good veggie, like um, I'm, I don't even like buffalo wings, but I've had veggie buffalo wings that you would never know it's not chicken because like it really is about that sauce, you know? Oh yeah, it's all that about I that think. sauce. 
Yeah, that works. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this place is good. There's some other. I mean, there's like no shortage of of well, places yeah, like this sure. in New York at this point, which is nice. But also, like when I go to a veggie restaurant, I'm just like, oh, it's like the paradox of choice, right? Or or paralysis. Um, where I'm like, no, I have to actually pick something. Yeah. This is too like I don't. I just want like a small section <laughs> on the right, menu where I'm right. like, I can pick one of these four things. Not like, oh my god. All right, like I still have to look through every page of the menu. Yeah, one veggie option would do it for me. I mean, I, I usually choose the veggie option when there is one. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I don't need I don't need like a, a fancy selection, you know. Yeah, just like give me what is coming, and like I guess it's kind of why. Yeah, I don't know. I like it when you go to a place. I mean, and it's usually kind of expensive, but most of the times I've done this, I've been with someone who is paying. But like when they're just like, okay, just give us this much money. And tell us what your like restrictions are, and like we'll just make you a bunch of things that we think you'll like. Yeah, it's very good because you That's don't have ideal. to choose anything. Yeah, and <laughs> they're true. usually all because my problem too with like going out to eat um, is that I don't want to eat like one large amount of one thing. I would much uh-huh. rather have a lot of different small things. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so that's nice too when they're like bringing out stuff because it's like, oh, here's like a carrot that's done in this way that you might like, or here's like the small thing. Um, and I'm like, yes, I can try different things and not just like eat a potato. <laughs> right. No. No. And you've been veggie for a long time. Like you travel a lot, right? Have you been to Eastern Europe or Central Europe or anything like that? Not since like... I've been vegetarian. Um, Got it. Yeah. And when that's I... hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I was there, it was a few years before I stopped eating meat and definitely yeah. ate a lot of meat. Um, and I think if you don't eat meat in um, in a lot of Eastern Europe, you're basically eating potatoes. Um, yeah, right. Uh, or, yeah, dough. Like you're eating pierogi or like something analogous yep. to that, depending on what the local variant is. And depending, I would say also how like how strict you are or how much you actually let yourself think about it because like things are made with stock or whatever. I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No. I mean, I, so it's kind of like how, how much, how willing are you to open yourself up to that risk, right? Like how much does it count for you? But I remember I, I was in uh, in Bosnia a long time ago, like mm. uh, 12 years ago probably. And uh, I met this kid from Norway who told me he was vegan. And I'm like, how do you eat anything here? Like in Bosnia, there's not a whole lot that you can eat if you're in a restaurant. Like... <laughs> Um, or fast food if you're if you're vegetarian and he said he basically would just like go to a supermarket buy a pile of vegetables and sit in a park and, and eat them <laughs> like, that was, that's that's all he could do because oh he was God. really strict i guess he was, yeah he was vegan and like he didn't want to take the risk of anything yeah. like a soup that might have been prepared with something or next to something or whatever but uh so yeah his solution was sit on a bench and eat vegetables every day i mean day. that's that's gonna do like i mean yeah you're really cutting out the middleman there yeah um, yeah totally now so okay, wait. How many years did you live abroad? I um about five and a half. I lived in France from two thousand five to two thousand ten. Yeah, that's yeah, five years. Yeah. And uh, when I so I lived in Paris that whole time, but I did a lot of traveling around Europe. A lot of that was in Eastern Europe, like uh, Romania and like the the Balkan region, like uh, Bosnia and Montenegro and Croatia. And uh, I just backpacked around back uh, in my late twenties, early thirties. Wow, that's super cool. What um, it was fun, yeah. <laughs> what was was there something that like inspired you to do that? Like, did you 
had you just like lost a job or were you about to like start doing something else or you were just like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'll just actually, yeah, I I lived in Philadelphia at the time and it was actually kind of hard to tear myself away from the life that I had. I really liked my job and my neighborhood and my friends and my apartment and everything. But, um, but uh, I was dating a woman who uh, we just kind of decided, like, we don't have kids. We don't have a house. If we're ever going to travel around and, like, see a lot more stuff, this is the time to do it. So, um, yeah, so that's what we did. And, uh, yeah, so I was in France for a long time. Um, I guess, like, kind of we decided to center ourselves in Paris because it's really easy to travel from there. And I'd already studied French a little bit. So that was kind of like a, a fairly easy transition, although my French was garbage when I got there. Um and yeah, we kind of just made a life there. So um, I ended up, uh, this woman and I broke up uh, maybe a couple of years into being over there. But I, I moved right back to France as soon as I could. So I, I was really happy there. I, 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 I would say, like, I never would have really left. But um, I've been uh, with my fiance for 10 years. And she got a great job in New York. So she dragged me here. And I would say it's like the second time a woman dragged me out of France when I really wanted to stay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so I, I just, you know, we might end up living there again someday, but, uh, for now we've been in New York for a long time, but yeah, I really, I really, really like it over there. I still go back to France a lot and travel around whenever I can. Very cool. What's your favorite part of France? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I only ever lived in Paris, so oh, I mean, okay. that was home for me. Mm-hmm. I honestly, uh, I still feel pretty much at home. I'm going to Paris in a couple of months, but I always feel kind of like I'm back home when I get there. I've got friends mm-hmm. there and my old roommate and everything, but, um, uh, and after eight years in New York, I've never really felt like a New Yorker. It's something I wanted to ask you about. You're, are you like Canadian or something? Where are you from? I am. Don't tell anyone. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I won't. I promise. Um, <laughs> so, but you've been in the States for a long time or no? Uh, well, yeah. I, I, on and off. I mean, I've been in New York for a couple of years now. Um, before that, I was living in Canada for a few years. But before that, um, I was living on the West Coast for four, for grad school. Um, and then... Huh. Prior to that, I, you know, I was, grew up in Canada. So I spent like a, you know, like a minute in the States, more time on the West coast than on the East, but I've spent a lot of time here. Um, or I had spent a lot of time here before I moved here as well, because I had a lot of friends here. I was seeing someone who lived here. So I was in and out of the city quite a lot. And, um, I knew for a long time that I wanted to move here. It was just a matter of finding a way to do that. And, um, Thankfully, I got a visa uh, where I was able to. So, yeah, I do kind of think of myself as a New Yorker at this point. Maybe that, maybe, I mean, I don't want to like, I don't know. It's a weird kind of mantle and I don't, wouldn't like, it feels almost like a, like calling yourself a poet or something. Um, sure. No, I hear you. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I'm sure some people would be like, you're not a New Yorker unless you will hear this song or do this. And I'd be like, yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, I feel like this is my home at this point. I mean, I think that's a really beautiful thing about this city is that it, um, it does just like absorb all of like, you know, this flow of people from all around the world. Um, and sometimes that's difficult, obviously, but I think it's, uh, been for the most part, it's like really incredible how that works. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, there's definitely amazing things about, I always say I can't complain about being here. I dream about being a lot of other places, but yeah, mm-hmm. New York is amazing for opportunities. I like that. I'm kind of invisible here. I don't know if you ever think about this, yeah. but like uh, when I, when I moved here, like I, I used to have really like freaky kind of punk rock style for a long time. And I would get hassled anywhere I went, anywhere I traveled, you know, and New York, nobody cares. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It's, like um, <laughs> it's the, the thing about it is like, um, as long as you're not in anyone's way, you can do literally whatever you want. 
Um, totally. And yeah. the second you step in front of someone or like you block the, <laughs> the sidewalk, you're causing a big problem. But if you're not, yeah. like it's, it's like fair game, baby. Like it's open season. Do whatever you like. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is it's very cool um and definitely not something that is the case everywhere even in um even in cities but i actually have been to paris a couple of times maybe just the once i don't remember um they would have been in pretty close proximity to one another but i did definitely spend a new year's there once which was really lovely yeah oh new year's there is amazing yeah yeah stuff. Yeah, yeah i was right by the eiffel tower and it lights up and um no, it's it's very it's very emotional. <laughs> it's very cute, and um, I ate. Going back to food, I ate something that uh, people who lived there were later like, "I can't believe you did that." That was like really like you're going to be really sick. I was totally fine. Um, what is oh, yeah, like yeah. the touristy? I can guess. Like really cheap kind of neighborhood or arrondissement called? I don't know. Uh, give me give me more information. Uh, what I ate was um, uh, a shawarma with French fries. In oh it. yeah, sure. Oh come on, that's that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's not like that's not like dangerous. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I, of course, I eat that all the time, or I ate that all the time in Toronto. Yeah. But I guess yeah. the area has a reputation for just being kind of like really like tourist. It's just really touristy, and like it's just kind yeah. of like cheap and gross but i never considered this at the time but maybe that has a slight racial dynamic to it because yeah, france no, <laughs> yeah no that's that's exactly what I'm, thinking. I'm thinking of like so me as an american in paris and having lived in like philadelphia is where i spent a lot of time it's not a super rough town but it's a little bit rough and in paris a lot of my parisian friends would say don't go to this neighborhood that neighborhood that neighborhood they're very dangerous you're gonna get stabbed or whatever and uh, of course like as an american from a big city you go there and you're like oh this is adorable this is nothing you know? like yeah so oh how um, cute very very different context in france and um and i and it's, it's very unfortunate that people that people think of it that way but yeah i can think of the neighborhoods that come to mind when you say that are all immigrant neighborhoods and i feel like oh. those places are wonderful but i know that french people white french people will warn you away from those neighborhoods and say don't eat there don't go there don't be there at night and it's a joke i mean it's everything's i've never had any problem there when i lived there yeah um, no yeah yeah that's um i guess i hadn't thought about that trip in kind of a long time but now i'm just like yeah that's probably what that was yeah no, totally um, i remember i remember being uh like my first trip there way before i lived there but i i traveled there i guess my very first vacation in paris and i was walking uh some some neighborhood um there's an area called belleville which is like a big immigrant neighborhood i was walking through there and a young white french guy said something to me in french and i said in really bad french i don't understand and he said be careful and i thought wow am i like in a bad place like do i have to watch out you know and that was totally fine there was no problem <laughs> that's just it's paris you know um i, I have uh, friends from uh, new orleans who came to paris with me and they asked me if they had to worry about safety in paris and i'm like you live in new orleans where people get <laughs> get shot in the face like you like every day you get shot in the face if you live in new orleans basically every, yeah every and, day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's like no i, I told him like uh, your new orleans instincts will serve you very well in paris you'll be just fine there's no problem you know yeah, so it's all context, right? It's all relative. Yeah, no, it's it totally is. And I think there's probably, you know, I was in London not too long ago. And, of course, in, in England, gun violence isn't really nearly as much of a thing. Um, but knife violence is. And so there sure. are, you know, I've seen Americans, like, being like, don't carry a knife. What? Um, and it's like, well, actually, like, there 
there has had to be this campaign against like carrying knives for stabbing people with yeah, um, yeah. to really get across the message that like you don't actually don't carry a knife it's like not good um but also england yeah. has its own weird culture that in ways feels more um authoritarian than the states is and really is just like i don't know like i obviously like i think it's just different and not um not worse than the states but it's just in this way that feels very like condescending and also kind of vaguely threatening the whole time yeah. like just like yeah, yeah. A, a toned down version of like v vendetta basically um sure. which i guess makes sense <laughs> considering that's <laughs> where it's from um but yeah no it's um it's weird um and it was definitely weird coming back no i remember uh feeling that even seeing that I can't remember specifics, but like subway posters are just like public service type, uh, you know, signage that seemed very controlling and very authoritative. I wish I could remember what they said, but I had that vibe when I was there for sure. Definitely. Like I've been in tube stations and like, you know, on escalators or something. And there's been a voice that's like you in the red sweater, stop jumping on the escalator or something. And wow. it's like, holy fucking shit. That's like, that's terrifying. I had no idea. I had no idea it was at that level. That's crazy. Yeah, no, it's wild. It's um, of course, in Paris, you can pretty much do anything you want in the subway, and nobody cares. <laughs> no one's really going to stop you. Yeah, I mean, when I was in Europe, um, for the first, like, I've only been to continental Europe the one time, um, and what really shocked me there was all of the cops walking around with like assault rifles. Oh yeah, um, me too. Yeah, and um, of course, this was late 2000s yeah. um and so i think there had it was sort of um in the wake of a number of like train bombings and things like that um sure. but yeah it was just like like german shepherds and like assault rifles in train stations everywhere like holy fucking shit well so i can tell you a really weird thing is that my first couple of trips to france were before um like 911 and the, mm. and e even though i i see france as being a lot more like kind of open and less authoritarian and whatever there were still soldiers with machine guns in the uh you know in the airport and the train stations and at the time i thought oh my god did something just happen like this feels really uncomfortable right and then um i think that was just normal i don't know when that started but uh i don't think it was for anything in particular and then after things got like more intense in america we see that now in new york all the time it's like a normal thing soldiers you know with machine guns in a yeah in a train station but i was really shocked by it as a young guy going to paris for the first time i don't know why it was like that yeah i don't know i mean god france as well just has its own i mean europe as a whole has its, its own kind of peculiar flavor of um police authoritarianism and yeah. uh you know like border anxieties that are based on white supremacy and all this stuff <laughs> sure um yes. yeah no it's um it's definitely it's bizarre i think and probably would be as bizarre for a european to come here and see how those mechanics are different in the states yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I see this through the eyes of my fiance all the time. You know, like she's from France, and we've been here for eight years, and so I still get to see those weird realizations about how how America's weird, you know, or or realizations about like, wow, France actually was really weird this whole time, and we never thought about it. <laughs> but it's kind of back and forth all the time, you know. Um, I wish I could think of a specific recent example, but nothing comes to mind. Um, definitely weird things about how many flags we display in America. That's not oh, typical. Yeah. 
that's not normal, like on Earth for the most part. Maybe North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the flag thing, um, I think, is probably inversely proportional to a particular country's anxieties. Yeah, um, about its but, future. But you know, a, another side of that, a different side, is that in in New York uh, or in any big city in America, you also see a lot of flags of other countries that people are proud to have heritage yeah. from that country. In France, not so much. I mean, people don't really. I mean, I guess everyone just considers himself either like. I, I, you know, my family's been in France for a really long time, or I haven't been here as long, but you don't see a lot of, um, I don't, you don't see outward displays of that unless there's a football game happening, but otherwise not too much. Yeah. And I wonder, I mean, I don't know. This is like, you know, like I feel like I've read books on this stuff and like forgotten (laughs) most of them. So I'm not qualified to speak on it at all, but like, I wonder if that's because in France, there is more of kind of an emphasis on being like culturally French um, yeah. in terms of like, you know, because that's the whole sort of, and when I say culturally French, I mean like French in this kind of like, you know, um, enlightenment, like secular humanist, like white European kind yeah. of way. Sure. Or, like yeah. basically the whole idea is like, Oh, we're not racist. We just don't like illiberal cultures. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is like really not, honest yeah, um, no, oh, oh to be clear but, it's extremely like, racist yeah i know and like you racist. know in terms of like controlling like like the state controlling like what people can wear and yeah. Yeah. how they can practice and things like that um you know those are all like in ways very good reasons to like not be very like hey here's where i'm from um and also oh, because I, yeah i, I, I think they're setting up the ideal of like well everyone can and i guess in the states you know there's sort of the whole melting pot thing too but i don't know new york is different i think i agree and i'll tell you even though i'm very very cynical about this kind of thing in every country on earth i do think in america it's a little more real the melting pot idea of like um of you know of we're all americans or whatever depending on where you live depending on a lot of things but in france i think it was much more harsh than that where to be a white french person with a french last name puts you in a different class and i think most of the people who benefit from that don't see it that way. They don't feel it, you know, but, but it's a reality. And um, I, as an American, as a white American guy with like a professional job and everything, I got, I was invited into being part of France, being part of white French people with French last names, you know, but it's not reality for most people that, or for a lot of people that live there. And it's, I, I was very cynical about it the whole time I was there. Um, in America, I think we actually do a little bit better with that for some parts of it. I don't know. Right, yeah, with like a a lot of variation, um, yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, no, it's like so fascinating. Um, the differences in the stuff. I read a really, really good book on this stuff years ago. Um, that I'm gonna have to give Nick the name of because she's not gonna be able to look it up. It's something, um, like about multiculturalism and how that term, um basically there has never been like a dedicated like multicultural party platform. Um, It's always just been a term that's sort of been thrown around. And now is at the point where like people are like, Oh, multiculturalism has gone too far. And it's like, well, what do you mean by that? Like it's not. um, And that's what I meant by the whole like illiberal cultures thing, because that's the rhetoric that gets used in Europe now um, basically to have license to be racist. Um, Sure. Uh, I'm just going to see if I can find it real quick. Yeah, oh, I know what it is. Um, this is something else. 
Um, there's multiple books on this. Would you believe it? Um, because it's a very important topic. I'll look it up and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, cool. but yeah, there's a whole bunch of, um, yeah, like the whole idea of like, oh, multicultural, the multiculturalist experiment has failed. Like there never was really an experiment in that. Um, and to say it's failed, is just like this weird rhetorical move. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it sucks. Um, yeah, it really <laughs> oh, does. it's called yeah. it's called the crises of multiculturalism, racism in a neoliberal age. Cool. Um, and it was a long ass book, but um, it's like about ten years old now too, so maybe a little out of date, but yeah. really good, really good. Um, but yeah, speaking of books that are good, do you want to move on to the only segment that we do on this show? Let's do it. Let's do it. It's a segment called Get Wrecked. And <laughs> did you know that that was the name of the segment? I did. I, so I listened to a bunch of your episodes before. Oh. And I'm like, okay, cool. I got to be prepared for this. And I'm completely not prepared at all. Well, neither am I because I, I have just been forgetting that it's a segment. But um, I'm going to recommend something that, well, before I do, I should ask, would you like me to recommend something first? I would much prefer that you recommend Buy you some time. Yeah, please. Um, I may have recommended this before, but we were talking about it earlier, and it reminded me that it's very good. Um, the Gay and Wondrous Life of Caleb Gallo is a web series by J- Brian Jordan Alvarez, and I think he actually has a new series of videos now, or maybe he's just putting out new videos now, but it's basically just like, um, I think it's like six episodes. There might be a few more um, on YouTube. And it's just him and his friends and like most of them are gay, um, just like dealing with their friendships and relationships and stuff. But everyone is like very, very funny, has a great uh, soundtrack. Um, And Freckle, um, who is played by Jason Green, is just like it sort of was sort of the breakout star of the show. Um, and it's just so, so funny and so good. Um, and is this very kind of like, um, what's the term? Like languorous kind of, um, is that the term I'm looking for? Sounded Uh, pretty sophisticated. I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah. Just like the kind of person who is like lounging on like a a fainting couch, Mm -hmm. just like like tossing her head every once in a while. Like that's very yeah. much the freckle persona. Um, cool. And that character just dominates every scene that she's in. Um, and I think uh, freckle or Jason green was on, um, was on a TV show recently. Um, I forget which, Oh God, what is the actress who was in arrested development as maybe? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um were you not? Did you not watch that show? So I, I got to be honest. I hate everything. I don't watch anything. <laughs> yes, I don't I read anything. It. I really okay. do hate everything. Um, it was Aaliyah Shawkat. Um, and uh, she was in Search Party, which Freckle um is also in. So yeah. You just lost me like three levels of losing me. Like, <laughs> well, let's see if we can go deeper. <laughs> no. yeah, uh, yeah, keep going, keep going. But basically, the the takeaway, the headline here is watch uh, the gay and wondrous life of Caleb Gallo. And I'm, 
I've almost certainly recommended this before, but if I did, it was probably about a year ago. So um, either you haven't watched it in a year or you have never watched it. And in either <laughs> case, you should just go do that. I promise you I will watch it. I well, want to know about you. it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, but I seriously hate everything. And uh, it's a thing like, it's like oh, my brand. Too. Like uh, I, I joke for this on like Twitter all the time where like uh, everything people recommend, recommend to me, I already know I'm going to hate it. I give it a shot to try to be a good sport. And I'm like, yeah, within 10 minutes, I know that I, I really hate it. <laughs> yeah, like, I have a brain problem where the more people who tell me to do, to watch something, uh, the less likely it is that I will. <laughs> oh, um, totally. Yeah, and it's not because completely. I think I am better than it. I just no way. am like have an inherent revulsion and i to yeah. i mean to start i hardly ever watch anything because not again not that i think i'm better than tv i just don't have the attention span <laughs> um i just i can watch a youtube video that's like a, a 20 minute youtube video a prestige tv show with like 50 episodes where each episode is like 40 minutes long yeah it's out of the question yeah uh, no i'm i'm with you it's like uh i don't have the attention span for anything. It's like uh, I, I spend most of my time watching um, the beginnings of bad horror movies and turning them off after mm. 10 minutes. That's most of my pop culture uh, consumption. Uh, do you, any recent ones that you can think of? No. So weirdly, I I always make lists of good horror movies like every year kind of because like I have a few friends online that I like compare lists with. We'll email each other lists. And this year has felt like almost nothing great has come out. And um, and then I just read an article. I'll never track it down again. I'll try to find it if you want. But about how 2018 has just been a really bad year for horror movies. And then, of course, a lot of theories about culturally why we don't need horror movies right sure. now. So maybe that's why there's there's no good ones coming out, you know. But um, I can't think of the last really, really good one that I saw. I keep trying to watch stuff like um, what's the um, Haunting of Hill House or whatever. And, like, uh, it just isn't – I don't know. None of these things are for me. I Yeah, I for a long time I was like – I hate horror movies. They're horrible and I don't want to watch them. Um, and uh, what I've realized is that I can watch old horror movies because what people thought was scary 30 or 40 years ago is basically funny now. Um, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Not, to say, not to say that those movies become, you know, I think Nosferatu is, is still scary. Um, I think some things like that yeah. are. But like 70s horror movies are basically just funny at this point. Although I did watch, um, yep. I'm up to the third uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And, <laughs> you made it to uh, the second one. That's cool. <laughs> I okay. Can I tell you something? Let's hear it. I actually, I actually really like the second one. Oh my god! <laughs> it's so. But the third one. Okay, so I like the second one because of its many flaws, and also like, yeah, God, the real life story about that movie is just like really sad. Um, about the main mm -hmm. character and everything. Um. And if people yeah, don't sure. know, I think I discussed this in a previous episode, but if not, um, you can go look it up. Look up the story of Nightmare on Elm Street 2, the gay one. Um, <laughs> but the third one was actually a good movie. Like, Wait, remind the me. Third what's the third one, one is, about? Hold on. Uh, the girl from the first movie is now yeah. a social worker. And she goes oh, to totally. a psychiatric yeah, yeah, yeah. hospital where all these kids are having nightmares about Freddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's making them kill themselves. And she teaches them. It's, it's the, the Dream, Dream Warriors. Warriors the right? one that has a cover where yeah, the Dream Warriors are totally different people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's very good. Um, yeah, I love that one. That's maybe maybe my favorite. I think it's, I think, I think it's like, I held to be the best sequel to them. Um, and I think I maybe yeah, even liked it more yeah. than the first one, actually. Yeah. Um, 
the D and D nerd. The D and D nerd. Yeah. And I suspect fun. that. So okay, yeah. All the characters have different dream powers, and uh, it's funny because you know it's a horror movie. I'm not spoiling anything. It's also really old. Most of the characters die. Um, and all the ones that die first are the ones that have powers that require like special effects. Um, like the wizard, the kid who's the dungeon master who has wizard powers dies. Um, the girl who, oh my God, is my wife, um, who <laughs> is played by Jennifer, what's her name? Um, who turns into like this punk with like two switchblades. Oh, um, totally. Yeah. yeah. She Wait, has... is she played by somebody famous? Uh... I don't remember. I forget. Um, she's been in other things. Um, she dies because um they need a stunt double to do her fight scenes, and then gotcha. um there's another one, and the kids who survive are the ones whose powers are just like doing cool flips or being <laughs> strong. Um, right, right, right. And so it's like inexpensive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, they survive because they were cost effective. I will always be like uh, kind of halfway traumatized by the scene of um. Freddie picking up the young lady and smashing her head into the television set in the like oh up my the wall god the right remember that and uh, a, a young lady actually came to my Halloween party a few years ago as that <gasps> and uh, I saw her walking around with a blonde wig and a nightgown and I said wait what are you, what's your costume and she said hold on hold on she ran up to the corner picked up this uh, cardboard box that oh was like god. you know painted up like a television and stuck her head in it and I totally got it like that it's incredible love it. now to me so the premise of this movie like the tension of the movie is that. The staff obviously don't believe in monsters and they think that the kids are just killing themselves. Um, When that girl dies, the TV is not within (laughs) reach of the floor. She has been put headfirst through a TV that is at the ceiling and there are no chairs moved in the room to allow her to get up there. Like she was clearly at least murdered by another human being and yet no one in the movie is like, yeah. Well, I guess she just did a sweet flip at <laughs> first yep. into the TV. Like that's totally. their that's their analysis. Anyway, yes, though, logic. it was yeah. a good movie. Um, I also watched Hellraiser two, which was not a good movie. Um, oh, I like Hellraiser two. But I it, know it's bad. It but I also, like it. I mean, I liked it. It was very weird. It also does have the the thing of taking place in a um a psych ward. Um, because yeah. that was sort of the thing that you do in horror movies. Because, okay, you have a character who survives this. Well, what happens to them now? They're yelling about how there's a dream monster from another dimension sure. who's going to eat their brains. Like, okay, well, that, we do something to people who say that in this society. Um, <laughs> it was okay. I liked how the Hellraisers were dudes. Um, and then the big Hellraiser. Although, actually, isn't man the real Hellraiser? Because they're the ones who raised hell. That guy, yeah. the main guy, he raised hell because he wanted to do a cool sex thing, but it turned out that um, it was demons. Yeah, that's how they'll get you. That's that's where we all end up, pretty much. Yeah, uh, it's a cautionary tale. A lot of walking through paintings in that movie. I don't know if you recall in Hellraiser 2. When they're like in some kind of, you know, in, in hell or whatever weird dimension they're in, it's a lot of like bad background paintings that they're walking around in front of. I don't yeah, you remember that or not. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. It's good. I, I dig that movie. It's got a special place in my heart. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. The Hellraiser movie is like, I feel like a lot of horror movies, this is like a trite thing to say, but they're about how like teenage lust is bad and like only like the pure virginal girl survives um, sure. 
Hellraiser movies start when like an older dude is just mad horny because he's done all the sex things he can think of and he wants to invent the forbidden sex. So he opens a box that summons demons who like rip his skin off and then he needs to have his lover put him back together in a really, really um, gross bodies exhibit kind of way. Yeah, no, I mean, right. Final, final level is uh, is big hooks on chains tearing you apart, right? That's, that's the where ultimate we all, move. That's what we all strive for. Yeah, and well, he got there, man. He got there. He did twice. <laughs> <sighs> well, good old Hellraiser. Have you uh, have you had time to think of something? Oh yeah. So okay, we're talking about like um, like horror. I'll say horror in air quotes movies, but uh, a film that I like that's probably my favorite movie in the last year or two is called A Dark Song on Netflix. Have you seen that one? No. Oh well, that's so weird. So it's probably it's one of the one of those movies that I'm sure ends up in a list of horror films, but it, it's not exactly horror. It's like weird, tense, supernatural, maybe or maybe not kind of movie. Huh. And the basic premise is just like. Um, A lady, we don't know her backstory at all. You see her buying a weird house in the middle of nowhere in, uh, I thought it was England, turned out it was Wales. She buys a country home in the middle of nowhere. And then she hires this weird guy to come help her perform a very elaborate magic ritual that will take months and months and months to perform, day by day doing all these complicated things. And through the course of the movie, you learn about these characters and you learn what she's actually trying to accomplish with this. And... Throughout, really, for a, a lot of it, you're asking, or I was asking myself, is this a real thing? Is she getting scammed? Does this guy believe he's got magic powers or maybe not? It's really, really weird. Huh. But not really a horror movie. Like, it's got scary elements to it, but it's not not a horror film. I love it. I'd watch it, like, uh, three or four times, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A Dark Song. Cool. Love it. You gotta check it out. If you like spooky ambiance, you mm-hmm. know, tension, a little bit like a thriller, kind of, but a little mysterious, I really dug it. Yeah, that sounds super cool. That's my recommendation, officially. Awesome. Thank you. And <laughs> thank welcome. you for joining me. Um, I yeah, like this oh, it's was been a my long pleasure. time coming. Again, um, I this is sort of a running trend in the last couple of episodes, but this is the first time we've spoken and we followed right. each other on Twitter for a grip. For like years, right? It's yeah. so strange to talk to you, but wonderful to talk to you. Yeah, you too. This was really great. Um, cool. And do you want to tell people where they can find that Twitter or anything else? Uh, you oh, who cares? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's good. Uh, it's good. Yeah, I mean, so my Twitter is just my name, Manning Krull, M-A-N-N-I-N-G-K-R-U-L-L. That is also my website where I've got like illustrations and comics and my paper mache projects and all kinds of garbage. Uh, and then my Paris website is coolstuffinparis.com. There you go. Wow, I didn't know you had a Cool Stuff in Paris website. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't update it that much anymore. I go back like once or twice a year and write a couple articles. But I was really into it for a while. Mm. A lot of good stuff on there. Whoa, Dog Cemetery. Yeah, that's the stuff. Yep. I'm going to look at the stuff. Cool. Yeah, it's all – so basically it's my list of recommendations of things that I like in Paris, which are not like the Eiffel Tower and stuff. It's like weird museums, weird cemeteries, pet cemetery, weird restaurants with a guillotine in them, et cetera, et cetera. Huh. That's my thing. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you again. Um, and hope you have a good night and take care in this snowy, horrible, horrible weather. Yeah, thank you. You too. And uh, thanks for having me on. Very nice to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Bye. All right. See you around. Bye-bye. Woodland Secrets is hosted by Mary Kay. 
and produced and edited by me, Nick Bravo. Woodland Secrets is a part of Stay Mean, the world's only podcast network. We're entirely listener-supported. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron of Stay Mean at woodlandsecrets.co support. For as little as three bucks a month, you'll get access to a monthly newsletter and frequent bonus episodes of our shows. If you'd like to have a message read on the show, head to woodlandsecrets.co messages. You can help people find out about the show. Please mention us on Twitter. We're at Woodland Podcast and at Stay Mean Co. Or rate and review us in iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>